That's it, Yom Kippur, we did it, it's done, like, nope, it's not over yet. Zohar teaches us that we still have one last chance to renegotiate, to, you know, to, the din has not yet been sent out, the pitkith can still be, we can still change our destiny, and it's, uh, it's a very, very special night of tefillah, it's a special night of Torah, and as you guys probably have already learned, the Kabbalist in Sfat had this, uh, this mystical vision, Shlomo Alkabitz, the same rabbi who wrote the Lechadodi. You go to see his kever at the end of the year when you go to Sfat, you'll, you'll go see him there. And uh, he has this vision that he has to stay up all night on two nights of the year. The first is Shavuos, and the second is Hoshana Rabbah. So it all began in the 16th century. He has this crazy idea that we have to stay up all night learning Torah. And, um, but the truth is, way before the 16th century, all the way back in Talmudic times, all the way in the Gemara in Yerushalmi, it's mentioned that Hoshana Rabbah is one of the most special nights of the year. That and Yom Kippur are the nights where all the Yidin are praying. It's a, it's a, it's a very, very special holy night. Uh, even though it, it's interesting, it seems just like a regular night, but it's really, really a very, very special night. A night of Torah, a night of tefillah. So it's really a, a huge honor to be with you all tonight. And uh, we also have a special guest uh, tonight with us. You guys know who, know who our special guest is tonight? Close. That was late last night. But you're right, because every night... All, so you're right, because every night all of the Ushpizin come. In addition to the special one, everyone comes along for the ride. So we, we invite them all. So Yosef was last night. That's right. And the seventh night of Sukkis is David HaMelech's energy, the energy of Malchus. And we'll talk a little bit about that. So David HaMelech, what's probably, I mean, he's famous for a lot of things, but his most famous book, Tehillim. That's right. So he brought down the book of Tefillah, the book of Tehillim to Am Yisrael. The Gemara says the only reason that he had that whole situation with Bathsheba so that he could do tshuva and his heart be broken and he could write this beautiful book of Tefillos, which every, every Jew, especially uh, female Jews, really connect to Sefer Tehillim. Um, you know, us men folks sometimes have a hard time connecting to the more emotional aspects of Judaism, but women seem to be able to connect to David and Malik even in a stronger way, from my experience. And so it's a really, really special night to, to connect to Tefillah and David Melech, and we, we feel his energy. Uh, so uh, I thought, um, before we even you know, go into sheer mode, just uh, we can open up with the Tefillah. We can ask a Kaddish Baruch Hu to open up our hearts, and our souls, so that the Torah that we're learning can really go into our hearts and really change us, not just for tonight, but for the rest of our year, maybe even for the rest of our lives. Um, so we can sing a song together, we can sing a tefillah together of David Melech. <laughs> Ah, <laughs> 
Beautiful. Rabbi Nachman teaches us. It's good. It's good to start off with. It's good to start off with tefillah. Connect our hearts before we connect our brains. And uh, also, so it's good to laugh. It's also good to exercise. But you know, you can't do everything. Um, so, so, so we're ready. Ready to begin? Yeah, we're ready to begin. Beautiful. Okay. So, what I want to talk about tonight is a very fun but strange custom which is beating the willow branch, okay? There is an ancient custom, as we'll discuss, to take these beautiful aravot, take five of them, according to the Zohar, and whack them, okay? Five times, according to the mystics. And uh, have, have you all heard of this interesting yeah. custom? Yeah, maybe some of you have done it. It's a lot of fun, right? It's a good time. So, um, so it's a very interesting uh, custom, and like all of our customs, it's deep, and it's mysterious, and it's much, much deeper than I could explain that I even know. I have no idea. But we know it's so beautiful and so deep. But we're going to a little bit, a little bit try to unravel some of the mystery. Um, although at the end of the day, we do it because, you know, that's our tradition, and that's what God told us to do. And so if God told us to do it, that's what we do it, you know, even if we don't understand it. And, that, and, and maybe we'll talk more about that too. But we're going to try to understand it. And hopefully, we will also walk away with something very, very practical to take into our lives, uh, besides just a, a deeper understanding. And if there's time at the end, maybe I could share with you guys uh, a little bit about Simcha's Torah, and uh, we'll see how much time is left. Uh, so that's the plan. Y'all, y'all cool with that? Yeah. Okay. Amazing. Exciting. Very exciting. All right. So uh, let's start from the beginning. So this custom of... Uh, Whacking the uh, ravos um, is not uh, is rooted in the in the Mishnah. Okay, so the Mishnah in Sukkah says the following story. It's uh, the Gemara in Daf Memhe. Misvas arava keitzad makom haya lematem yushalayim. So how would they do this arava? There's a place 
right below Yerushalayim, v'nikra Motze, and it's called Motza, Motza, okay? In fact, today, to this day, you can drive out of Yerushalayim, and you'll find a place called Motza. It's still there, the same place, okay? Yordim l'sham umlakim misham murviot shel araba. They used to take these tall Arava branches, and they would put them around the altar. Okay, so there was a little bit different customs back then. They would blow the shofar. We'll get to the bottom. They would scream out, God save us! Okay? And they would have all these beautiful prayers. Then at the end, um, they would whack them on the floor. And, and uh, that's, that's what used to be done in the Beit Midash. Okay? Very strange. They would whack their arafas. So, the Gemara goes on to say, Itmar Rabbi Yochan or Rabbi Yeshua ben Levi, Chadamar Rabbi Yeshua ben Levi'im, Chadamar Minhag Demi'im. So there's an interesting custom, there's an interesting machlokes. Is it a decree of the prophets or is it a minhag, a custom of the prophets to whack the arafas? But everyone agrees it has something to do with the prophets, with the Nevi'im, okay? So, certainly, it's an ancient, ancient custom. You know how we think of, like, law, old customs. We think of, like, I don't know, singing Lechadodi uh, on, on Kablat Shabbat, and it's like, oh, 500 years custom, that's pretty cool. Singing, you know, songs, maybe like 50, 100 years at Shlomo. Um, and this custom of whacking the Arabas and walking around seven times, it goes back thousands of years all the way to the prophets. That itself is already pretty cool. Or even if I have no idea why I'm doing this, I'm doing like 3,000 years of Jewish history, that's, that's already a pretty cool thing. Good. Fine. But, um, but, but we want to go a little bit deep, deeper. Because um, we don't usually find this language of a minhag nevi'im, a custom of the prophets. We don't usually find that language. Minhag but what does it mean, minhag nevi'im? Right? You can say, okay, it's just making it a little bit stronger. It's a, pro, it's a, it's a cousin that goes back to the prophets. Okay? But um, perhaps there's a deeper idea here. So I'm going to give you one idea of shot. A, a beautiful idea. I just learned it tonight, actually. Um, and then afterwards, we'll go maybe a little bit lefisod, uh, according to uh, uh, the Kabbalistic uh, way of learning things. So shot, it's like this. I'm sure some of you girls have been learning Nevi'im. Our whole lives we've been learning Chumash and Navi. And there's a very interesting pattern which the Ramban, Nachmanides, points out. And that is that very often, before a pro- when a prophet makes a prophecy about something, he will do something physical to kind of show and demonstrate that prophecy. Okay? So, for example, Moshe Rabbeinu. He doesn't just, you know, say, have the, the water turn into blood. He hits the water, right? With all the plagues. He does some sort of physical action. He hits the rock, and the rock turns into water. Okay? Similarly, the Ramban points out uh, many times with Yeshayahu and many different Nevi'im, um, he'll, he, uh, he'll take, for example, uh, what's the example? Let me find the Ramban here. Mm, one second. Mm, ah, by Yirmiyahu. So the Ramban points out that Yirmiyahu tells Baruch, his main man, 
to take a stone to a scroll and throw it into the river. Okay? And it says, thus will Bavel sink. Okay? Just like I threw it into the river, he physically demonstrates the thing that's about to happen. Right? Actually, it reminds us of what the time period we just did. We just did a lot of physical actions that symbolize stuff. Right? What am I talking about? For example, what Minhagim reminds Oh, et rug and lulav. Okay, good. Physical actions. Beautiful. Tashlech. Right? Tashlech is a great idea. We're throwing our sins into the river. Very good. What's another example? Maybe. The... Okay, apple and the honey. The simanim. Beautiful. Excellent example. Yeah. Maybe uh, kaparot for those who do that. You know, the chicken taking her sins and all, all that craziness. So, we very often have this concept of physically putting into action uh, our, 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 our prophecies. So the Ramban says that this is very, very common concept, and we find this in general by the Nevi'im, okay, by the prophets, that their physical action it makes it like a, more of a reality. It somehow brings it into existence. Okay? So now, what are we doing when we're... When we're what, what, are we, what are we mostly praying for? Before we whack that us, what's the day all about? If you look in the liturgy, if you haven't had a chance yet, but what are we focusing on most of the prayers? It's all about rain. It's all about rain. This is the time of the year when we start praying for the rain to come down. And rain, of course, has a lot of symbol, symbolism, blessing. Rain is the first connection between God and man. Rain represents physicality, materiality, right? It's not just the rain, but it's also we're, we're dependent on rain. We've always been dependent on rain. So we're praying for rain. The Arava, of course, is thirsty for rain. Okay? It's the dry willow. Without rain, it, it, it dies. Right? And then, instead of just praying for that rain, we do a very physical action. What do we do? We hit it. Sorry. And if you listen very well, what is the what is a, a Rava whacking kind of remind you of? That's right. You got it. You got the hint. <laughs> Very good. It sounds like the rain coming down. Yeah? So the fihap shot, perhaps, the whacking of the aravos is physically bringing down the blessing of rain into our lives that we've been praying for. It's making it like oh, we're confidently saying, Hashem, he's going to bring the rain. Please bring the rain. Everybody got it? Fihap shot? Pretty cool. Okay? And that's why we use this language of minhag nevi'im. The custom of the prophets. Not just as the prophets, it goes back to the prophets, but just like the prophets would actualize through a physical act, we're also doing such a thing. Cool? Awesome. Nice idea. Very nice idea. I heard a different idea um, from Rav Moshe. I heard it on a Hawaii Torah here a few years back. From, I forgot who. I think it was Rav Moshe. But in any case, it was a great year. And uh, he shared a different perspective. It says like this. We all know that each of the species, the minim, the, has a different symbolism of, of the Jewish people. This is brought down in the Midrash and Vayikra Rabbah, and I'm sure you've all heard this. So let's go through it. The etrog, what type of Jew does the et, etrog symbolize? Someone that learns Torah and does mitzvah. He smells nice. He tastes good. He's the best. He's awesome. Okay? Then we got the lulav. Okay? What does the lulav symbolize? Someone who learns Torah. Okay? Doesn't, doesn't, uh, doesn't, 
Sorry? Okay. Right. It doesn't necessarily... Not that he doesn't apply it, but he, his main focus is learning, 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 learning. And that's... But he doesn't have the, 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 the taste of the ad rope. Okay? And then we have the hadas, which smells nice. And that symbolizes a Jew that does meisim tovin, that does mitzvahs, but doesn't learn Torah. Okay? So he's not a complete Jew, but he, he's good. Okay? And then we have the arava. Okay? It doesn't smell so nice. It doesn't taste so nice. So what type of Jew does the arava symbolize? So who is that? And that is... The, sorry? Seemingly a simple Jew. A simple Jew that doesn't... Seemingly, Lefiyah Pshat is neglecting doing Torah and mitzvahs. He's not fulfilling Torah and mitzvahs. There is a different perspective. Chabad takes a little bit of a different perspective that says that it's actually someone who has a Muna Pshuta. Maybe if we have time, we can jump into that Pshat too. But the simple way of reading the Midrash is it's someone that doesn't really fulfill Torah and mitzvahs. And that's the Arava who we join together with the other, uh, you know, the Etrog to bring him into the Jewish people. But it doesn't seem so special. Except we have this whole day which we focus on the Arava and we're whacking the Arava. So what the heck is that all about? Okay? So to answer this deep question that we're struggling with, I'm going to tell you my favorite way to answer questions and that's with a story. A story told by Rav Shlomo Karbach. And uh, it's one of my favorite stories. So here's the story. Like all the stories, it's much more about the lesson than the story itself. The story is nice. So, a long, long time ago, in the 18th century, somewhere in Poland, lived the Chose Milublin. And the Chose Milublin was famous that he could see from one end of the world to the next. In other words, he could look at a person and just know everything about them because he only used his eyes for Torah and for mitzvahs. And so his eyes could see deep, 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 deep and far. And the Chose was so holy, all he did was Torah. But the Chose needed to get a haircut. And it was, Sukkis was coming up. And he needed to get a haircut before the Chag because his hair was getting really long. And the thing is, the barber had passed away. And so you think, okay, so just go to the barber, right? It wasn't so simple. Because every time a barber would come to cut the hair of the Helega Chosem Lublin, he would start screaming, ah! It hurt him so bad. And it's not that he wanted to hurt anybody's feelings. It just, it hurt. Hashem had created the Chose that he was very, very, very sensitive to the purity of a person. And if a person just wasn't on the level, he just couldn't touch the Chose. Now you would ask, why couldn't he just cut his own hair? I don't know, maybe it was hard. They didn't have mirrors. Who knows? But he couldn't. And so all the Hasidim are looking for the holy barber, for the Chayisim Lublin. And one guy gets in there and he's davening all day, saying to Hillem, went to the mikvah. He gets in there, ah! And the, the chayzer, it, it hurts him too much. And the next day, mama, she's doing tshuva all, all month long. He's all vidoying. And he's such a tzaddik, but it hurts too bad. And person to person to person, and nobody is holy enough to cut the chayzer's hair. And the chassidim say, what are we going to do? We need to find a barber, but there's no barbers left. Until, at the edge of the town, they notice there's this guy. He's like a little hippie. He's carrying a guitar, long hair, and doesn't really look like such a tzaddik. But he has a little sign that says, we'll cut hair or play music for cash. 
So they say, listen, we got no choice. And he looks like a sweet guy. He says, yeah, you want to try to cut the hair of the chosen? So, the guy says, why not? Make a buck, quick buck. And he goes in there. And as soon as he comes into the room, the chosen says, ah, smells nice. Smells really nice in here. And he takes the scissors. And he starts cutting the hair of the chosen. And the chosen's like, wow, amazing. Feels so good. And the chassidim are like, wow, amazing. This guy is special. So pure, so holy. We got to find out what, what's his secret. And, they, and, they, and they, they grill him. They say, no, 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 tell us your secret. What makes you such a holy id? He says, no, I'm just a regular guy. He says, they don't buy it. Tell us. No, I, I don't, I'm just really a, a normal dude. Okay. They follow him around until Simchas Torah. And you know, Simchas Torah, sometimes the custom is to have a little l'chaim. Had a l'chaim or two. And they see that he's had, you know, he's, he's opening up a little bit. He's a little bit more friendly. So they come up to him and they say, no, no, tell us the truth. What makes you so holy? And the holy barber says, I'll tell you the truth. Maybe, maybe it's this. And he lifts up his shirt and there's a red scar all through his back. And they're taken aback and they say, what happened? So he says, let me tell you a story. A few years back, you know, I was going from town to town, making my books, and I see that there's a Jew, and he's being beaten by the policeman. And I ask, what happened? And the Jews tell me that the policeman, the anti-Semitic policeman in those days, they needed to arrest someone, something had been stolen, so what did they do? They found a poor Yid, and they, he was a scapegoat, and they're beating him. Meanwhile, his family with seven children and his wife are crying and saying, oh no, save his life. And I could see that he wasn't going to live if they kept beating him. And I thought to myself, no, I'm just a normal dude. Just with a guitar in my back. I don't have a family. I'll take one for the team. He said, listen, I did it. Police, I stole whatever had to be stolen. And they're like, really? All right. So they let the guy free. Goes back to his family. And they start beating him. Boom, boom, boom. Until about 50 beats in. The guy looks up to the heaven and he says... I don't think I'm going to make it. Master the world, you know I did this only for you. Please, save my life. And he falls unconscious. And he wakes up. And he tells the Hasidim, and maybe, maybe that's why the Rebbe took, took the haircut from me and nobody else was able to give, give me a haircut. And that's the end of the story. So what's the point of the story? What's this story trying to teach us? What's the, what's, what's the idea? Why... Was it that the holy Chosen Lublin, who learned Torah all day and all night, why can't he only get the haircut from this holy hippie dude? What's, what, what's the tori- story trying to get across to us? Any ideas? Any suggestions? What's, yeah. Okay, beautiful. So the Ben Adam Lachavero can complete in a very beautiful way the Ben Adam Lemakom. Uh, awesome. Awesome, beautiful. Yeah? Maybe the idea that, like, um, especially I feel like now, like,
nice about it. Like, it's, and he, this guy, like, he didn't think of himself as anything like an amazing Jew. He was just like, I know, like, going about my life and like, doing things like how I want to do that. Right. Just doing like what he thought needed to be done from a very pure place without too much intellect getting involved. Nefeh, beautiful, finding the balance, always like finding that right balance, right? I always remember, I don't know, maybe I've told some of you girls this story, like I, I slept Shabbos tables for these meals I make in the Rova sometimes and, you know, almost always people help me because they see I really need the help and I'm schlepping a lot, usually Arab Shabbos. And one time I asked a friend for help and he was like, and he was in the middle of doing a Shnai Mikra. And I was like, I know, I also have to do my Shnai Mikra, but I really need help right now. And I was really, it like hurt me that like the Torah should bring a person away from helping others instead of bringing a person more towards loving others, which I think is ultimately the goal. Now, I have to find the balance, of course. But yeah, so that definitely, you know, rings, rings strong with me. Awesome. Any, any other ideas before I throw my idea up there? Okay, great. So I'm going to suggest something a little, pretty much what you guys said, just in different words. And that is, that I think the idea of the story is that we need chosim ulublins in the, in the world. We need people who are just holy and learning Torah and teaching Torah and doing mitzvahs all day. Davening, gavav. We mamish need it. But the chosim ulublin also, we also need those holy barbers. And they complete each other. We also need those people who are willing, the word that strikes me from this story is to be moser nefesh, is to be willing to give your life, give up what's hard for you, take a beating, so to speak, for the Jewish people. And those two kedushas, those two, those two holinesses are the perfect completion. And I think especially in this generation, I'm not trying to get political or anything, but I think especially in this generation, we can appreciate that. Uh, you know, there's... I had, I had so many friends in the Israeli army that weren't necessarily religious, uh, you know, and keeping Torah and mitzvahs. But, and you'd ask them, so why are you giving three years of your life to the army? And they didn't really have an answer except this is just what we have to do. You know, this is our, deep inside I think they understand this is their way of giving back to Am Yisrael, to, to, to God, in their own way. That's the only way they know how. And I think those two kedushas need to, to learn to love each other and work together. And, and, and appreciate each other and love each other. But I'm not really here to like, get you guys to join the Israeli army. That's really not my goal for tonight. Um, but I do think that that story reminds me of, of this guy, of the Arab. Of that simple Jew who's willing to be Moser Nefesh, who's willing to give up so, give up so much to serve Hashem in his own way. And it reminds me also of a, a very famous Gemara in Brachos, one of my favorite Gemaras. In Brachos, the Gemara asks, I don't understand. In our generation, we learned so much Torah. We learned a crazy amount of Torah. And yet, when we start praying, nothing really happens. Yet, in previous generations, they learned so much less Torah. But, they just like started fasting and like, boom, God heard their prayer. Like, immediately. That's what the Gemara asks. I don't get it. Why, why are they holier than us? We're learning so much more Torah. Yeah? And the Gemara answers, yeah. But in the olden days, they were willing to be Moser Nefesh. They were willing to give up stuff for their Judaism. Not necessarily just giving their life, but they were willing to go all in, to go all the way for their values. And because of that, Midah, Kenegin Midah, Hashem kind of lifts the veil of nature of Teva 
and says, are you willing to go above and beyond your nature? I'm also going to go above and my, beyond my nature and, like, you know, rescind the decrees. Exactly in proportion to the way that we treat Hashem, that's, that's how he treats us. Yeah? You got the concept? In fact, there's a beautiful teaching of the Nativis Shalom, Salon Marebbe, one of my favorite teachings. And he says, quoting his great-grandfather, that every single day we have a test. Every single day God gives us an opportunity to overcome our nature and do something which is hard for us. Okay? We all have natures. Right? So for me, maybe it's I'm tired in the morning. I don't really want to stand up for Baruch Hu. I'm tired. I know I should, but I don't want to. And if I stand up anyway and overcome my Yitzhahara, then that's a day in the life of Kalman. And if I don't overcome that test and just do whatever's natural for me and don't overcome my Teva, it's not counted as a day in, in Hashem's book, as a, as a day of Arichas Yamim. It's only counted as a day in my life when I overcome my nature, and the goal of life is to constantly, constantly be pushing ourselves to overcome our nature more and more and more and more and more. Right? Like Dessler talks about in, in his beautiful essay about the Bechira point. We're just growing and growing and growing and growing. Sometimes we take a step back, but then we just got to get back up again and grow again. And we, only we know, you know what, that, what that way is. But every single day, we have opportunities to be Moser Nefesh. And that is our goal. That is why we wake up in the morning to, 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 to do that mysterious nefesh. Yeah? Make sense? You with me so far? Okay. Amazing. So, so to review so far, I asked why we take the beating. What's the beating? We went al derech hapshat min And then we're giving a little bit of a different type of answer that the beating represents the mysterious nefesh, the self-sacrifice of a Jew and we are asking ourselves, how can I be sacrificing for Hashem in my own way? Okay? And that's, that's kind of the prayer, the tefillah that we're asking Hashem. Say, Hashem, help me overcome my nature so that I can really sacrifice and, and do what I need to do today, every single day. That's, that's what we're saying when we're beating that, uh, that arava. Make sense? Okay. One last point, and then maybe we'll do a, a little, a, a very cute activity. So, great. So we all have a lot of things we're working on, right? Rosh Hashanah, Yom Kippur, I'm sure we all have a huge list. I have a huge list, I know, of stuff I'm supposed to have changed, but oops, I'm kind of going back to my old habits, you know, Yom Kippur, Sukkot, and like, what's, what's going on? What should, what, should, what should we focus on? It's very nice, just be most or nefesh, but what specifically? What, what's... what's What's the avoda? Every day has a different avoda. You know, on Pesach we talk about freedom, on Sukkot we talk about Simcha. What's the Indian, the focus, the spiritual avoda of Hashan Rabbah, of the Yom Aravah, of this very, very special day? Okay? So we already mentioned it in the beginning of our little talk, but I want to go back to that. And that is, so we, we mentioned um, the place. The Mishnah mentions the place where we took the Aravas from. You guys remember the, the name of the place? Moza. Beautiful. Moza. So, uh, Ramosha Weinberg, that's what I'm remembering now, has amazing Chiddush. Moza, right? There's only one place in the whole Tanakh where this phrase Moza comes up in our Holy Bible. Anybody remember? 
It's a toughie. Okay. Bonus points. If you couldn't. In the, in the 24 books of, of, of the Bible, but it's specifically in the fifth book. Anybody know? It's a toughie. He talked about it in our brachos shir. It's a hint. Okay, it's a tough one. So it's like this. Not by breath alone, ki al pi Hashem, but from what comes out of the mouth of God. That's, uh, the context is, uh, that's, that's, that's not by bread alone does man land, man live, ki al pi Hashem, but from that what comes out of God's mouth. In God's mouth, that's how we live. Okay? So motze is used specifically in the context of speech. The speech of Hashem. Amazing. So motze of the Aravas is, is about the speech. Okay? And amazingly enough, in our holy Midrash, we have another Midrash which says that each one of the four Minim corresponds to a different body part. Maybe you guys have heard this before also, right? So what is, let's see if we can remember it. What is the et rogue? Heart. Heart, Heart beautiful. I forgot, that's good. What's the lulav? Spine. <laughs> sorry? Spine. Spine, that's right. Um, sorry, sorry. Um, what is the myrtle? Eyes. Um, eyes, that's right. They look like two eyes. And what is the arava? Lips. Lips. Mouth, right? Speech. Beautiful. Okay, so once again, we see this theme repeating itself. Okay? And there are truth is there are many, many more of these types of illusions. Uh, I'll point out a few little ones. Okay. We mentioned who is the special guest of honor tonight? David Amelech. What's David Amelech all about? Va'anit filati, va'anit fila. David defines himself as fila, as, as prayer. He's all about Davin. He's all about learning. And his essence is, is tefillah. In fact, David Melech, we're getting a little Kabbalistic, but Adam is made up of Adam, David Melech, and Mashiach. He's a big stage in the Mashiach. And of course, Mashiach is also a lashon of Mem Shin Yud Chet. What does that remind us of? Mem Shin Yud Chet. What does that remind us? What word is that? Sicha, right? Mashiach is Sicha, speech. So it's also all about speech. It's all about the way we speak. So, if we had to pick one specific focus of what we want to rededicate ourselves as we jump into our new year, and there's been so many inspirational moments that we don't even know where to start, but perhaps Yom Rava, Hashanah Rava is telling us, start with speech. Start with the way we speak. Hakol Kol Yaakov, the essence of a Jew is their voice. That is our connection point to HaKadosh Baruch Hu. If we refine our mouth, it changes everything. By the way, that's also why the tz- when Tzadikim Davin, their tefillahs are so much more easily heard. Because they refine their mouths, and so it's a, it's a straight tube to HaKadosh Baruch Hu. And I say tzaddikim, I mean me and you. I don't mean just, I mean every one of us has the potential to be a, a straight, direct uh, kli to connect to a Baruch Hu. But when we defile our mouth, 
then we we don't have that. It's not as effective, you know. And so we've had this whole year. Now we cleaned our system out. Yom Kippur, Ramam is connected to Kaddish Baruch Hu. Now we've had a few get days, and maybe we're going to going back to our old habits. But Hashanah Rabbah is reminding us: if you're going to be most nefesh about one thing, it's it's speech. That's that's the beginning. That's that, that's the first stop step in, in any in anything. Yeah, you with me? Amazing. Okay, two more uh, maybe practical pieces of advice uh, when it comes to to to, to sicha. So very, very often when you hear a schmooze about, you know, using your mouth properly, basically the lesson is, so don't speak Lashon Hara. So open up the Chafetz Chaim and, you know, don't speak badly about others. And that is true. We really should not speak badly about others. It's 100% true. But Rav Jonathan Sachs has a beautiful uh, article. And he talks about the concept that maybe we should put more of our focus on Lashon Tov. You see that in the Mishnah, the rabbis are often praising each other and speaking kindly about each other. It's not just about not speaking badly about others, but if we're constantly speaking positive things, happy things, good things, then, uh, then we don't have the time to speak negatively. If we're thinking well, we're talking well, then there's no time or there's no rutsam to speak negatively. We want, just want to create a good vibe. Yeah, so I, I like to play um, Ultimate Frisbee. Um, and... One of, the, uh, one of the ways which I find is my tikkun in this game is that most of the people that are really nice and sweet, but there's a few people that are kind of negative. Um, don't worry, you, you won't never meet them, I don't think. It's all guys' game. But um, So one of my missions in that game is just to speak positively, happy, and praise people because when otherwise people start criticizing each other and um, it just brings the vibe down. So if you're speaking happy and positively, then there's less space for negativity. So it's not just about, you know, don't speak Lashonara, but it's about just trying to bring more happy, positive, good speech out to the world. So that's maybe practical advice number one on this matter that I'd give you all and myself because I'm primarily just speaking to myself. So thanks for listening. Um, and second piece of advice that really, really helped me is that when it comes to speaking negatively, especially if you like to talk a lot like me, um, we need Hashem's help. It's like almost impossible. Like it's, you know, reading the Sefer of the Chafetz Chaim helps a lot, but you need to ask Hashem for help. And beautifully, our, 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 our sages have built into our tefillah a prayer for guarding our mouth. What am I talking about? The last blessing of is a personal prayer where the rabbis personally express themselves to God and say, please don't let me speak Lashon Hara. And what they're trying to tell you is you insert your own personal prayer here. It's not just telling you to say that it's saying like talk to God and actually ask Him to become a more refined person and specifically in the realm of guarding our mouth this is your opportunity to beg Hashem for help. So um so I would, I would advise myself and you guys also to, to make use of that situation. Okay, um, I want to do one last practical thing. Everyone here have a phone? You guys allowed to have phones? Yeah. yeah, okay, good. So take out your phones. Take out your phones. Oh, uh, it's okay. It's fine. You can take out uh, a pen if you prefer. And what I would like you to do, no pressure, you don't have to. But I, I like always trying to make uh, what we learn practical, yeah? So you take something out of it. So what I'm suggesting that you all do 
is just write an email to yourself. Okay? Write an email. Go to your email and say, you can write it as a tefillah and say, please God, help me. And then whatever you're feeling based on this year, there's got to be something in your life that this year you want Hashem's help to do better, to be Moser Nefesh. It doesn't come naturally for you, but you know it's the right thing to do. And you really want Hashem's help, maybe specifically in the realm of speech. So for example, for me, I'll already tell you, is to say Asher Yatsars slowly, without walking away. I know I want to do it, but it's really hard because I like running and I get distracted. But Hashem, I really need your help. Please let this year be a year of growth in my Asher Yatsars. That's mine. But I'll give you guys two minutes to just email yourself so that tomorrow morning you'll be reminded about what you're asking Hashem for help for. So just write that email right now, if you can. Dear Hashem, You guys wrote it? You're writing it? Amazing. Okay. I'm supposed to end at what time? Fifty? Okay. So I started two minutes late, so you're gonna grant me two extra minutes. Is that okay? Because I want to tell you my favorite story about Simplest Torah. I'm not gonna be with you for Simplest Torah. I mean I'll be with you spiritually, but uh, physically. Uh, unless you're in the robe in which case. Maybe I will see. But um, but um, I want to tell you one, one, one delicious story just to give you something to, to, to dance about and sing about on this beautiful special night. Yeah? Oh, also, I have to tell you, cool story. Sorry, too, the story. But I had to mention. So, um, I, before we did this year, I was learning with my wife and we had a little chavrusa and we were learning Steinmeck and we were learning the Parsha together. I heavily recommend it. Always a wonderful thing to do. Read the Parsha. Not sure what Torah to learn. And... So we were learning a Rishon in this last Parsha, and we got up to the Pasuk, You'll read it, it's at the end of Rishon. And the Balaturim, we read it on this week's Parsha, says, take a beating to do the Rasan of Hashem and, and do his, do his, fulfill his words. So exactly this year that I was going to give you guys, I found in touring tonight as I was learning with my wife. It was really, really cool. I thought it was pretty cool. That's not the story. The story is the following. Okay, simple story. You're going to dance, maybe, and sing, and be happy. And you might ask yourself, why am I dancing and singing? What's this all about? So here's the story. Once Rishlomo Karabach is playing a concert, and this guy is dancing and singing, and Rishlomo knows this guy, and he's not exactly a Talmud Chacham, and he has not learned the whole Torah. He did not read the whole Torah. And he says, I don't want to be a chutzpah, but I'll be honest, like, why are you so happy? Why are you dancing? Yeah? So the guy says, no, and at my brother's wedding, I can't dance. In other words, even if he himself can't say that he's learning Torah all year and is celebrating the Torah to the full extent, but he can dance and sing for his brothers at his brother's wedding and celebrate with them and draw from their joy. So, hopefully, you guys, this Simchas Torah can dance and sing because of all the Torah that you're learning 
and that you're going to learn. But even if you, you run out of energy at a certain point and you don't even feel like dancing and singing, singing anymore, you could think about all the rest of Am Yisrael. It's their wedding. It's our wedding. And, and rejoice together with them. And uh, I hope you guys uh, use that and have an amazing Simchas Torah. And thank you so much for a fabulous night together. If you have any questions, please send an email, send a WhatsApp. And I hope you have a, a beautiful rest of the night. Very, very welcome. A pleasure. Honestly, Mama's a pleasure. Mechayim. Have fun with your whacking tomorrow. Amazing. Thank you so much. It's really nice. Beautiful. Cool. Wow, you never know who's listening. Wow, amazing. What's your name? Alicia. Alicia. Oh, yeah, that's me. All right, well, we're neighbors. Awesome. Awesome. I live uh, 30 seconds from you guys, so it's good. Uh, Mama, don't you say Shalosh? I don't know. Ken? Hamid? Why? Because we have two Shabbat songs, one Shabbat and one Shabbat. In 